You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. We're doing things a little bit differently this week, and I am dropping five episodes for you. In each one, I am interviewing one of my friends who is an industry leader in one of the areas that is of interest to you. I'm talking to a personal stylist, a toddler sleep coach, a parenting coach, a leadership development coach, and a sleep coach. So we are getting all into the nitty gritty in those areas of expertise and really diving into topics that will help you excel in your career as a mom, in your relationship, and in your health overall. So I'm really excited for you to meet my friends and get to know these women. Check the show notes for links to their social media and start following them, subscribe to their podcast, check out their content because they're really a wealth of knowledge and great resources for you. And don't forget that when you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and send a screenshot to admin at estheravan.com. We will send you as a thank you our weekend survival guide, which was previously only available to clients and has a ton of information to help you master consistency even on the weekend. So with that, enjoy this week's episodes and I will see you guys next week. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. Today's guest is Tanessa Shears. And she is a friend of mine who is up in Canada, and she's a kinesiologist, a certified sleep science coach, health consultant, and has her own podcast called Becoming Limitless, which I think is an amazing name. And what we're going to talk about today is the importance of sleep and stress management, which if you guys have listened to multiple episodes of this podcast, know it's something I talk about all the time, and I think is one of the most overlooked aspects of being healthy in general, and also can contribute a lot to your struggles with losing weight and why everything feels harder. So you really shouldn't sleep on sleep. Um, So I'm really excited to have Tanessa kind of dive into some of the science for us and talk about brain fog and some ways to start actually prioritizing our sleep and stress management in ways that maybe you haven't thought of before. So, Tanessa, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you live, and what you do? Yeah. So, I am a mom to a two-year-old right now. So, I've got a toddler running around the house. I'm 34 weeks pregnant actually right now. And I run a business specifically as a health consultant. And the type of clients that I work with are the clients that wake up in the morning, they're feeling already like, oh my gosh, how am I going to start today? I'm feeling so tired. So they get going through their day and then they get that energy drop off that happens around two or three. And they find that their days just feel like they're 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 running on empty. They're feeling really foggy and they get home at the end of the day and they just want to collapse on the couch, watch Netflix and scroll Instagram at the same time to just pass that time until bedtime and then start all over again the next day. So what I specifically do is I use wearable tech in combination with coaching strategies to help optimize your health so that you wake up feeling really well rested and your energy is stable through the day and you have really clear thinking. Like I just love that feeling of having a brain and that works well and energy that supports you to do all the stuff you want to do in your life, both, you know, at work with your kids, whatever that might be. 
That's so good. And I feel like most of our listeners, as you were describing that day, were like, oh, I'm feeling very called out. That sounds exactly like me. Um, and I know that's so common, just feeling like you wake up tired, you barely get your oomph for the early part of the day. And then it's just kind of downhill from there, from the mid-afternoon slump to kind of eating whatever will give you a little boost of energy. And then just crashing on the couch with some wine, some snacks, some social media, all the things. So I know that's going to really hit home. Um, let's define brain fog before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this. So um, I, our whole family recently had COVID and I didn't have it for long, but I definitely had some pretty intense brain fog where we actually recorded the podcast episode a few ago where, um, uh, nope, you know what? It'll... You'll hear it next month. We recorded it in advance, but uh, I did a special episode with coaches Amelia and Lauren on um, being a single mom and making time for yourself. And it was when I was in the throes of COVID and just like could barely put a sentence together. So now, spoiler alert, listen out for that one. Um, but can you tell us like what are some signs of brain fog? How do you differentiate that from just kind of general, you know, I don't know, I've got a lot of my mind and, and that sort of thing? Yeah. So brain fog specifically is like one of those things where, I mean, if you went into your doctor's office, they're not going to be like, well, that sounds like brain fog. Here's what to do about it. Because essentially like brain fog is a collection of symptoms that we experience. And they're ones we all know. They're things like forgetting names or walking upstairs and being like, why am I up here? Like, what did I come upstairs to get? And you're just finding that your energy is generally low throughout the day. There's an overall sense of fatigue that you can't shake. And more than that, it's just that inability to focus and concentrate. Like you find yourself being distracted by, you know, if there's kids in the house and you're trying to work or, you know, you're trying to, you know, get something done and you can't just stay focused on one task. Um, you're easily distracted and thinking that just feels really thick and clunky and cloudy. It's almost just like your brain is underwater and it's not working properly. And how that shows up is it's usually like during the day, you feel like everything's taking twice as long. You're not feeling as productive. You're not feeling as energized. And and the day just kind of, it feels like, you know, almost like when you have a head cold, and your brain is not working properly. So how this kind of differs to what you were saying, then how do I know the difference between if I'm just like have brain fog or if I'm just tired, right? Because tired is not something that is like, we need to eliminate it at all costs. We should always be energizer bunnies. But I think knowing what natural tired is, is so important. So in general, when we wake up in the morning, we want to wake up and have clarity of mind. We want to be, we want to wake up with the energy we need to get done what we need to get done without relying on coffee or stimulants or, you know, having to eat a bunch of high sugar foods to get going. Like we want to just wake up with the energy we need. And then during the day, you will find that naturally there's something called sleep pressure that increases and it is a totally natural biological process. So I find by the afternoon, it is totally normal to have slightly lower energy than the afternoon. But the difference between like brain fog is when we're getting that sharp, like two to 3 PM, we could take a nap. We just don't want to do the day anymore. Like it feels like you're forcing yourself to work or engage with your kids or, you know, exercise. And it just feels like it's so much more of a struggle. And that by the time you hit your head on the pillow at night, you're so wiped out. Like that is a type of tired that we don't want to feel. I almost think of picturing it like a gradual slope and slide that starts with the higher energy in the morning and ends with, you know, totally ready to feel refreshed and go to sleep at night. So that's kind of the difference between brain fog and tired. One you wake up with and the other one you wake up with a bit more energy. That's a great 
um, description. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking about, I know you have a toddler too, thinking about how my son just like jumps out of bed, ready to go. And then kind of contrasting that to the the parents that he's probably waking up. Um, we actually, um, I feel good in the mornings, so not me specifically, but generally speaking, kids wake up with a lot of energy and usually the parents are kind of dragging and are like, don't acknowledge me until I've had some coffee. Um, which I think actually brings us to a great kind of topic, which is the kind of band-aids that we turn to rather than addressing the root issue of getting higher quality and, and quantity of sleep, managing stress consistently and things like that. I see so many questions about I'm, you know, I need a boost before my workout. What pre-workout should I take? Or um, you know, just generally trying to kind of skirt the issue of addressing the real kind of elephant in the room and just kind of trying to work the system. So can let's start off with kind of the the downside of being underrested or having chronically high levels of stress. Why does that matter and how is that negatively impacting us? Yeah, well, sleep is one of those things that like we don't even think of as fundamental to our health. It is not just a side thing that we should think about, but when we don't sleep, like our brains literally don't work properly the next day. And it is fascinating that you brought up the concept of how stress interplays in there, because I heard this um, wonderful, wonderful analogy for how sleep affects our ability to manage stress. Um, and if you think of it, like, do you remember like on the playground when we were little, they had those old school teeter totters that were like <laughs> wood. And then if somebody got off the other side, you like slammed into the ground, <laughs> those ones. I always like to think of on one side, we have fight or flight, which is, you know, our bodies being in stress or experiencing some type of stress. Cause all stress isn't bad. I mean, if you take a cold shower or if you work out, these are stressors on the body, right? So we have that side of the teeter totter, but on the other side, we have, have rest and digest. We have relaxation. We have restoration, right? And naturally, if you think about this teeter-totter, we should be able to dip from side to side just a little bit. So meaning we experience a little bit of the stress, which we want if we want to be focused and attentive and alert and you know be present for our exercise. But on the other side, we also want to be able to dip into relaxing on, on cue, you know, be able to calm our body and relax. But the problem a lot of us run into is we get on this teeter-totter and we slam all the way to one side. And usually that's fight or flight, meaning we get completely lodged in fight or flight and we have a hard time pulling out of it. Now, what research and science has shown is that if you think about the hinge on that teeter-totter, we want it to be really well oiled so that you can dip in and out. But what will oil that hinge is high quality sleep, not only getting long enough sleep, but the phases that your brain goes through, making sure we are getting enough of that quality. And this is what allows us to really take back the reins on how much time our body spends in stress and how much time it spends relaxing. Okay. That's an awesome start. And I think we, I think, I just think stress and sleep in general. There are so many misconceptions and there's there's so much information out there, but it's just not something that most people focus on and don't realize just how important it is. And the fact that I think sometimes when we talk about stress management, the assumption is you want me to eliminate all of the stress in my life and that's impossible. Therefore, I'm not going to even bother trying to reduce it at all. And what you're saying is 
some stress is necessary and good and helps us be, you know, high functioning members of society. But like with that teeter totter, we don't want too much of it. And we want to be really adept at having periods where we focus on relieving the stress and relaxing, and then periods where we can sort of transition into a higher stress environment and not experience the negative kind of consequences of it. Is that right? Yeah, it's exactly it. And like when we look at stress, the the whole idea that we should never be stressed and we should eliminate stress, I think that really sets us up for failure because we want our body to be under mild stress when we are focused or we are alert and paying attention. We are learning new skills. Like that is actually a state that's beneficial to learning and focus, right? But what we want to focus on more so than like never have stress, relax all the time is we want to think about stress resiliency, meaning when I experience a stress, whether it's intended, like I went and exercised or it's unintended, like, oh, I got a, an email that triggered a stress response in my inbox. How am I able to recover from that? How fast am I able to pull myself back to a neutral place if that's what I'm choosing to do? Because a lot of us, we get into especially these anxiety spins and, you know, we, we struggle with overwhelm and all of this kind of stuff, but we're not able to engage or disengage from it. And that's really what we want is we want the ability to be resilient with stress, not necessarily to avoid it at all costs. Okay. Excellent segue. Then how, how do I get more resilient at stress? Yeah. Well, there are, there are definitely four pillars, which are so important. And I know a lot of them you talk about, which one of them is obviously what we're eating. There's how we're moving. There is literally the things that we are doing to become resilient with stress, but there's also sleep. And what I have found, and I mean, my work specifically is, is a lot of entrepreneurs And these are a high stress population in general. And I have gone through, you know, so many different avenues of trying to see what is the best way to cope with these stressors on our body. And I found time and time again, that when we come back to this concept of sleep specifically, this is the foundation for allowing our body to be in an optimal hormone state, to be able to have our brain make good choices during the day. And I mean, if you've ever struggled to make good choices with your food, I always like to look at well, what's going on with our sleep because there are so many processes in decision making and um, like we we use the idea of willpower for say, but like being able to make decisions ahead of time and follow through with them. So many of that, so much of that skill is developed with sleep, and I often find that. We as a society, we we think that we're getting enough sleep. Like I talk to so many people who are like, yeah, 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 my sleep is fine. Can we just work on the food stuff or can we just work on the exercise stuff? Or, you know, can you teach me how to be more zen? But I often find that when when I put a lot of these wearable trackers like Fitbits and stuff like that on my clients and I look at the data, the average person is spending between like an hour and an hour, 15 minutes awake every night. So what people will say to me is, you know, I get great sleep. It's fine. I get enough. Like I go to bed at 11 and I wake up at seven. That's eight hours. I am well slept. But when I start looking at their data, what we aren't accounting for is, well, when you fall asleep at night, your brain just doesn't instantly go into sleep. There is that transition time where after you turn your lights out, you are falling asleep. When you wake up during the night, whether you are conscious of it or not, any tossing and turning, getting up to use the washroom, when your brain is waking up in the morning, all of this time adds up and it's time you are not spending in the quality sleep phases that are creating a healthy brain and a healthy body. So when we look at like, yeah, we thought we were getting seven and a half, eight hours, but if you take off this hour, hour and a half, 
we're getting like six and a half, six hours of sleep and we are chronically sleep deprived without even realizing it. And I find that that is the first place I like to shine a light on is like, hey, we need to be taking account the time we're spending awake and allowing for that. So if we're really wanting to get seven and a half hours of sleep a night, are you allowing for that awake time? Are you giving yourself eight and a half hours in bed or are you just cutting the bare minimum of seven and a half, seven hours in bed? Yes. Okay. So I know probably 99% of the people listening to this are in the habit of scrolling on their phones in bed, probably way past bedtime. And then just kind of their brains spinning when they finally shut it down and try to fall asleep. Can you speak to kind of the science of how disruptive that is, aside from the fact that you're losing out on the the quantity? Um, how does that affect getting into deep sleep, having having quality sleep and things like that? I'm trying to make a make a case for why that is a habit to break, essentially. Yeah, well, there's two ways you can go about looking at there's there's one is the whole idea of a wind down. So what we are used to doing is go, go, go. We're human doings. We literally go from one item on our checklist to the next item on our checklist to completely zoning out with technology. So what we are currently doing is we are constantly feeding our brain information, whether that be in the blue lights coming from your screen, the dopamine hit you're getting from scrolling Instagram, the decisions and the thoughts and the engagement of our brain from watching TV, even though it feels like a very passive process, right? So what ends up happening is we are, our brains are processing, 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 you know, getting all of the stimulation and our brains are going fast. And then all of a sudden we turn out the lights and expect them to just turn off. And that's just not the reality is our brains need what I like to call a runway into sleep that is consists of, you know, progressive activities that slow down our brainwave function so that we're ready for sleep. So like, if you think about, you know, getting your kids ready for bed, having a conversation with your partner, this is all more of like an attentive and focused brainwave activity. But what we want to think about doing is segueing into activities in which we have time where there is no input from other people's thoughts and other people's brains and other people's ideas. This means podcasts. This means um, scrolling Instagram. This means, you know, having a lot of active conversations. Time for just you where your brain is able to spend time reflecting or being on its own or hearing and processing your own thoughts through the day without having it being muffled by external input. So I usually like to spend 20 to 30 minutes doing that. And honestly, for me, that's just like taking my makeup off, getting my pajamas on, you know getting ready for bed. Maybe I'll jump into bed and read like a a, a really light book that I don't have to engage in or think a lot about. And then gradually slowing my brain waves down so that I am spending time, you know, with my eyes closed, focusing on my breathing, taking the experience of my world from being outside with, you know, family and computers and TV and phones and slowly bringing that inwards. And I find that that is what sets you up for falling asleep well, and staying asleep. So that's that one side of it is you can look at like, are you giving your brain that runway into sleep or are you going a hundred miles an hour with input and then slamming to a stop and trying to sleep? So the other way you can look at it is 
when we, if we're going to go into the science of it here is you can look at light and how that is affecting our brains. So if you think about like rewind back to before indoor lighting was a thing and all we had to rely on was either candlelight or outdoor light to tell our brains what time of day it was and when to start transitioning to sleep. So it went from brilliant blue and white light in the sky, sun started setting, sun, you know, sky turned pink and then orange and then red, and then it got dark. Well, that light actually told our brain, hey, the sun is setting. We should start producing the sleep hormone melatonin so that we can fall asleep easily, stay asleep and have high quality sleep. But with all the lighting indoors, our brains basically think it is the middle of the day all the time. So this can come not only from just the bright lights of our bathroom vanities, but our kitchens, but our phones that we're staring into. So you're essentially giving your brain the message like, hey, it's the middle of the day we don't need to be sleepy. We shouldn't produce this sleep hormone. And so that when we do try to go to sleep, it really affects the duration and the quality of our sleep. So what I like to do in that 30 to 60 minutes before bed is consciously mimic what our brains would experience if we were to be living without indoor lighting. So I often like to think like, okay, how can I dim the lights? How can I turn the hues of the light bulbs I'm using to a more yellow or warmer option? How can I place them on table lamps instead of overhead so it would mimic a sun setting? And how can I remove the technology that's directly stimulating my brain to think that it's daytime? So there are so many free apps that you can get for your computers and your phones. A really good one for your computers is called Flux, F-L-U-X. And all of our phones now, they've progressed so much. They have built-in blue light filters that really help. And these things are all great steps. But the other thing that we can really just do is give our brains that break from input and use light to actually cue our sleep more than anything else. It's so interesting to be talking about this right now because we we're, we're filming this in mid-April and we recently did the time change. So we live in very northern Germany where in the summer it's light until like, you know, close to midnight. And just in the last couple of weeks since the time change, when we put my son to bed, he keeps objecting, but it's sunny out. It's sunny out. It's still daytime. And we, you know, we have blackout curtains and we, um, we try to kind of convey that, yes, it's still light out. But so I think it's so interesting that, um, you know, we, we know logically that we need to sleep, but that the, the light kind of cue is so strong that, um, you know, we're, we're a lot sleepier in the winter because it's darker. And then we just want to stay up for as long as it's light in the summer. But it's so important to train yourself to be consistent with sleep, regardless of that. Yeah. And like you said, like mimicking, uh, um, you, mimicking the sunset through things of use like blackout blinds and, you know, closing the windows and turning off any excess overhead lights will all definitely help with that. But there's actually a really fascinating um, field of research called uh, seasonal entrainment. And it's this idea that because the light quality outside changes, like in the summer, for the most part, depending where you are in the world, it's brighter in the evening. So this actually naturally, if you think about if you took out indoor lights, cues our brains to sleep a bit later. So there is some evidence that shows we may need a bit less sleep in the summer and more in the winter. So you might find that you're just tired in the evening because of the different light cues you're getting, or you're less tired in the summer. And it's kind of neat when you lean into that, once you remove all the artificial sources that are kind of throwing off that internal body clock, that circadian rhythm we have. 
That's so interesting. I just think this is such a fascinating topic. And I know, you know, we're talking about a lot of stuff and it can feel kind of daunting to think, about, oh, I got to change my lights. I got to get involved. I got to do this, I got to do that. But just like with anything, we're talking about just picking one thing you can do right now, making, taking gradual steps to prioritize a healthy and conducive sleep environment and little by little making this more of a priority. So don't feel like you need to go changing your whole house overnight, but instead just thinking, kind of, okay, what's the first step? What's one thing I could do to improve my sleep? Maybe that's oh, just developing yeah. that wind down routine and doing a few relaxing things in a consistent order um, and then kind of going from there. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to think of doing things on one to two week experiment timelines where I will pick one very specific thing to change and then either subjectively asking myself, am I noticing a difference? Am I feeling better? Or, you know, if you're really techie and you want to use like a Fitbit or an Aura Ring or something to actually track, you can get that direct feedback if it's working. But like, for example, like maybe on week one, you're just like, okay, I am going to be in bed half an hour longer than I usually am. And I'm going to try that for a week or two weeks and see how I feel. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, you get to decide a week later, do I want, did it work? Yes. Keep it. Did it not work? No. Try something new because the whole point of optimizing your health is being able to get more energy out of something than what you put into it. So I find that really doing that stepwise change and asking myself, did this make a difference is a really great way to tune in on like, did this habit work for me? Because the purpose isn't to accumulate, you know, all of these habits that you're doing and you don't actually know if any of them are working and you're overwhelmed. And how do I make time for all of these? Ask yourself, like, am, is my brain working better? Like, do I feel more energized? Am I having to spend less time focusing on one task during the day because my thinking is clearer? Or am I making more of my workouts happen because of my energy? Or do I find it easier to make healthy food choices? Asking yourself these questions and doing one change every week or two is such a great way to be minimalistic with the habits you use, but know that they have maximum efficiency. That I love the idea of experiments. And we, we talk about the same thing with nutrition. Like, let's just try it and see. You're not committing for a lifetime, but let's just kind of go into it with an open mind, collect some data, and then we can analyze and see where to go from here. With, I feel like one of the kind of arguments against making small changes or one of the kind of things that complicates it is it can be kind of hard to tell, did this one small change make a difference or you know, did it? Do I not feel like it made a difference because it actually didn't, or because there are more changes that I need to make to really make an impact? So, how would someone be able to tell, like, it is helping, just not enough to kind of get you over that like flashpoint where you see the the real benefits, or this just isn't a habit that's going to be productive for me? Yeah, well, and that's why I make the argument that like sometimes just honestly getting a basic Fitbit that tracks your sleep specifically is one of the best investments you can make in your health. It's kind of like the idea of how, how do we know how much money we have in the bank if we don't have access to online banking, right? <laughs> so in a way that these these devices, what they do is they they tell us in the morning, like, hey, you know, you're consistently getting enough dream sleep or deep sleep or duration, or maybe this is what you're missing out on because our brains don't have those printouts in the morning. So I find it's a really effective way to get those concrete answers. But I mean, if we do make a change, for example, and we're not noticing the effect right away at a week, try it for another week, or there's also no harm in just keeping it and adding another 
habit on. Like if you're noticing a direct negative effect, like, oh, you know, I'm really finding I'm really tired. Sometimes, I mean, different habits take different amounts of time. So one of the things that I do um, in my work is called a circadian rhythm reset, which means that I ask my clients, I'm like, okay, we're going to, we're going to really see if it's your sleep duration that is affecting how your energy feels and everything like that. And I'll ask them, okay, let's pick a consistent time plus or minus 30 minutes that we're going to go to sleep at and plus or minus 30 minutes that we're going to wake up at. And we're going to try to be as consistent as possible for three weeks. And I usually find that the first week on a habit like that, they may actually feel more tired or have trouble falling asleep because they're changing something which they have been doing so consistently for a long time. Mm. And I usually find that it takes until about mid second week into the third week where their energy comes back. And so I think part of that is, you know, experience, but also part of it is being willing to be wrong in your guesses and being willing to toss out what doesn't work or try something a little longer. And it's, I think it's about removing the deadline on the end of it. Like I need to feel healthy. I need to feel energized. This needs to happen right now and being willing for it to take twice as long, but being able to have it, you know, discover it in a way that is sustainable. Yeah. We talk a lot about that with, um, with nutrition and um you know what i have totally lost my train of thought uh, <laughs> um well i don't know where i was going with that so i'll just move on um yeah <laughs> one, um one thing i want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up is the stress management a little bit more directly so hopefully we've really hammered home the importance of sleep and some actionable strategies for experimenting with new habits, prioritizing that, waking up better, rested. Um, Let's kind of talk about the stress management piece, because I feel like this ties in to hormone health, which is such like a hot button item right now is everybody wants to know, how do I you know, optimize my hormones? How do I balance them? Or do I need to supplement or whatever? And really kind of overlook the fact that your nutrition, your exercise, your lifestyle, your, your stress management, all of that plays a huge role in your hormone health. So um, can you just kind of give us a, a quick overview of how stress can negatively impact our hormones and especially how that might relate to difficulty losing weight? Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things that we know is that when our body is in a state of stress, our hormone cortisol is going to be higher, right? And so naturally, one of the things with cortisol is when it is higher, it causes our body to release more blood sugar to deal with the fight or flight state, right? And anytime our blood sugar is constantly fluctuating or elevated, that is definitely going to play into how the hormone insulin shows up in our body and whether we're storing fat or we're able to maintain lean body weight or whatever it is we're working on. Um, The other thing that's really fascinating is when our body is stuck in that state of stress specifically, it affects our sleep. So if you're one of those people that are waking up in the middle of the night, you're tossing and turning, or you have trouble falling asleep because your brain is constantly engaged and that cortisol hormone and adrenaline is pumping through your body, it's going to affect your sleep. And there've been so many studies that have shown that when your sleep is disrupted and you are not getting quality or long enough sleep specifically, there is between 20 to 40% um, poor blood sugar regulation the following day. And how this is going to show up is your appetite is going to go up. Your cravings are going to go up. You are going, your body's going to have a hard time dealing with the two hormones that balance hunger, which are ghrelin, which lets us know if we're hungry or not, and leptin, which lets us know if we're satiated or not. Right. So on top of affecting 
just our blood sugar in general, we have a harder time with hunger and cravings and all of that kind of stuff. So it makes it harder to follow through on the decisions we want because now we're fighting against the hormones. So it's really fascinating looking at how much getting good quality sleep will affect the hormones that help you make better decisions the following day. And I find that one of the reasons that we are chronically stuck in that fight or flight is like I was saying earlier, is we are human doings. We go from task to task, to task, to task, to task, and we are exhausted by the end of the day. So we zone out and this time that we're using before bed specifically whether that be honestly Instagram or Netflix, and there's nothing wrong with Instagram or Netflix, but I often think it's how we use them. We use them at this, like, as this, like, I deserve this time. This is going to help me unwind. This is me time. This is like um, my time where I just get to turn my brain off and zone out. And that's how we use it. But when I often talk with people and I'm asking them like, well, what do you want to get out of watching three episodes of Netflix or scrolling (laughs) your phone? They're like, honestly, I just want to relax. I've had a crazy day. I just want to zone out. And I'm like, but do you feel that when you're done watching three episodes of Netflix? And sometimes it's a yes, more often than not, it's no. And that's why we need to continue watching two, three, four episodes while we're on our phone, then go sit on our phone before bed or scrolling Pinterest or whatever it might be. And I often ask them like, well, what if you took some of that time and devoted it to an activity that allowed you to just be a human being again? Like, what is it that really makes you feel relaxed or recharged or refreshed? And I'll often get answers like, you know, I'd like to head out to the garden or it'd be nice to go for an evening walk or it would be really nice to catch up on a bunch of blog articles that I've been wanting to save or dive into a good book. So I often find that we need to look at our evenings and ask ourselves, like, what are we wanting to get out of them? in terms of feeling less stressed out and are the activities that you're choosing actually giving you that? And if not, why aren't we changing them to do something like that really makes us feel fulfilled? Like for me, I like organizing, (laughs) like organizing a closet sounds like a great way to spend the evening for me. But like for, for me, that is something that I can just collect my thoughts. I'm alone. It's quiet. And that will make me feel so much more refreshed and recharged in 30 minutes than three hours of Netflix ever could. And then I find that because I'm able to condense that amount of time to make me, you know, give me that stress-free feeling or that feeling of relaxation, I'm no longer having to compromise my bedtime and my sleep that night to fulfill this kind of buffering Um, away our stress feelings with things like TV or phone scrolling. I love the term buffering in this context. This is so good. I feel like you guys listening should uh, rewind like 45 seconds and listen to that whole thing again, because it really gets to an incredibly important issue, which is this disconnect between our actions and the things that we really want and the things that we really need. And I think, you know, most of the time, if you're being honest, you would have to say that you don't actually feel better after watching a bunch of TV. You, We tell ourselves, oh, this is how I'm unwinding. I deserve it. We tell ourselves all these positive things. But if you actually paid attention and, and looked at it, you'd realize, oh, I'm actually not... I don't feel more relaxed. Now I just kind of feel like I squandered the little time that I do have. Um, and it was kind of a wasted opportunity. So just giving some thought to exactly what you just said of like, what is actually, what am I trying to get out of this? And what are some things that would actually kind of scratch that itch? And I think a lot of 
moms, especially don't even know the answer to that. Like what would, what would bring me fulfillment? What would help me relax? What would really benefit me the most? Like, I don't know. When's the last time I did something for just myself? When's the last time I was doing something that didn't relate to my kids, taking them somewhere, doing something for them, picking up after them, thinking about them or some sort of obligation working after dinner or, you know, feeling like I have to do something it can be a little bit unnerving to realize like, actually, I don't know. I don't seem to have anything that fits that bill. 10 years ago, I used to like to do this. That's not an option now or, um, or things like that. So I think that would be such a good exercise is to really reflect or even journal on what activities would do that for me. And if you really don't know, treat it like one of those you know, one to two week experiments. I want to try this. Yeah. Maybe it's organizing for me. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's doing puzzles. Who knows? I've had a client that's actually found paint by numbers off of Amazon. She just loves those, which is so great. But one of the things where you can start actually, and one of the conversations I always like to have with clients is like, what did you do as a kid for fun? Because those are things that often lay dormant. And for me, it was reading books and then organizing my books. So (laughs) I haven't strayed too far from that. But the kind of neat thing and what I want to point out is because we are all different people. And when we talk about that idea of being a human doing and a human being, I think we all have a different balance of that that makes us feel best. Meaning you don't have to shoot for 50% of the time I'm feeling and being and enjoying and stress-free and 50% of the time I'm productive and doing and working out and all of this kind of stuff. I always like to experiment with this idea of finding your edge. Where do you feel slightly challenged, but you're not going into that hypervigilance and that overwhelm and stress and anxiety? So for me personally, like I'm very task oriented. I am science-based. I am, well, I organize for fun. You can tell how my brain works, but I have found that if 70% of the time I spend my time, you know, task oriented, doing, planning, scheduling, and 30% of my time I'm spent being, relaxing, reading, doing stuff for me, that is the edge in which I find I feel my best. But, you know, we're all built so differently that somebody else's edge might be 50% of the time or 60% of the time being and doing and experiencing and 40% of the time being productive. So I often will like, ask myself, like, do I feel like challenged in a good way, but also resilient with the stress that comes with that? Am I able to find that balance? And for me, like I said, it's that 70-30 split, but I think always thinking like, where is my edge that I feel best in that balance between, you know, getting stuff done, to-do list, and then also relaxation and wellness? (laughs) Yeah, this is such good stuff. Okay. Um, I want to go back to something when you were talking about hormones and the effect that stress and lack of sleep have on them and how just it really highlights how nothing in our lives is happening in isolation. I think a lot of times we try to make it be that way where we tell ourselves, oh, I succumbed to these cravings because I'm just weak and I lack willpower or I'm lazy. So that's why I didn't get my workout in. When in reality, there are so many different kind of inputs and outputs and your perceived lack of willpower or laziness is very most likely not that. It's that you are in this chronically stressed, under-rested state most of the time, which is affecting your hunger and satiety hormones, and then in turn, making it harder for you to kind of keep your head on straight and make the choices that are better for you in the long run instead of kind of this instant gratification. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's um, actually a really good book I read that brought this all very clearly to me. And I think it, I think it was called Brainwash. Um, but it talks about this idea of disconnection syndrome. So if you think about like our prefrontal cortex is the area of our brain that, you know, decides ahead of time what we're going to eat. We do our planning. We do our executive thinking, our follow through everything that makes us higher thinking species and very um, task oriented and project outcome and everything like that. That area of the brain is what is going to be making our decisions based on what we want long term. But we also have this area of the brain called the amygdala and it's responsible for all of our feelings and our emotions and our like desire to eat certain things or that feeling of, I don't feel like it. So there are these two parts of the brain. Now, when we aren't eating in a way that supports a healthy body or moving, or we're not sleeping, or we're not managing our stress, we actually get something called disconnection syndrome. And what happens is the prefrontal cortex disconnects in its connections from the amygdala. So basically what this means is the emotional part of our brain begins to run the show when our health is not um, being taken care of or paid attention to. So what this basically means is that it's not just about your willpower and your decision, but the the choices we are making with our health are then feeding into our emotional brain, taking predominant weight in making the decisions we have every day. So if it feels like it's so hard to follow through on something, it could just be that your amygdala is running the show instead of the area of the brain that makes decisions, you know, based on what we want long-term for our life. So by fostering healthy sleep and by fostering, you know, healthy um, diet or nutrition and getting your workouts in and taking that time to relax and recharge, it takes that prefrontal cortex back online and makes creating decisions that work for us so much easier. So it's kind of like that whole chicken in the egg thing. And I think at the beginning, there is definitely that, okay, there's that pushing through that bit of resistance as you get started and start developing some of these habits and bringing these new changes into your life, but they feed into making it easier to continue with. That is so fascinating. Hopefully, to you guys listening, we have made a convincing case for why this should be a priority. As I mentioned, and I have talked about in previous podcasts, it's like not the the glamorous stuff. We all want it to be, just tell me what to eat, just tell me what to do for workouts, and it's as good as done. But in reality, it's so much more complex than that. It's so much deeper and more multifaceted. And really, I think if, if you were to only focus on one thing, optimizing your sleep would have such a positive cascade effect on all the other things that um, that would be like the number one place that that I would start. Yeah, absolutely. Sleep is, like I said, it's that foundation that just makes decisions in every other area so much simpler. Just because of the brain power, you get back the clarity, the energy, the blood sugar management, all of that comes into play when you are well slept. And it's it's literally what I have now created as the foundation of my practice instead of just a single pillar. Yes. I love it. All right, you guys, I don't care what time it is. I don't care where you are. Go to sleep. I'm <laughs> right on the sidewalk. Yeah, time. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Um, okay. Tanessa, this has been awesome. Um, tell our listeners where they can find you out in the social media world. 
Yeah. So if you're just wanting to come and ask questions or get into my world, I'm on Instagram. It's just at Tanessa Shears. That's where I'm posting daily content. Um, But beyond that, my podcast, Becoming Limitless, takes a deep dive into all of these different health optimization strategies, literally like whole episode on wind down routine, whole episode on how your pillow affects your sleep, whole episode on blood sugar, like going really deep and how it affects, you know, your business. If you're running a business or you could translate that to your work life or your life as a parent and just really how you can feel energized and well-rested by changing one small thing at a time. So that's a wonderful resource um, in terms of um, just really getting nitty gritty on one thing, doing it, experimenting with it, and then listening to another episode and adding something else in. That's so good. So you guys who are feeling like, okay, 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 you're selling me, but like, how? How do I actually do the things? And you want to get a little bit more into the specifics of the stuff that we talked about. That podcast is an incredible resource. So subscribe to it, put it on your weekly uh, walk list and uh, start binging those episodes. I'd imagine you're um, taking a break during your tail end of pregnancy and probably newly postpartum, but it looks like you have about 50 episodes that, uh, that people can dive into in the meantime. Yes. Yeah. I've got a whole bunch of stuff that is more than enough to get you started. But yeah, I'm, I literally, that's the one thing I'm most excited about postpartum is jumping back into the podcast. Cause like we talked about with that whole really listening into your body, it's like, okay, what had to come off of my plate to give me the edge to keep me that perfect balance between doing and being. And like I said, it's making changes and always letting that be in flux. So good. Tanessa, thank you so much for your time. And this has been so informative and enlightening. And I hope you guys have really enjoyed this interview. All of the links will be in the show notes. So um, you can check those out. But the podcast is Becoming Limitless, which I think is such a cool name that you'll probably remember it. Um, Tanessa, thanks again. And um, on behalf of all of us, we wish you a quick and easy birth. And um, we can't wait for you to welcome your little one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to have you join me in my Facebook group by the same name, Live Diet Free. This is the most valuable weight loss and lifestyle group on Facebook. I have created it to be more valuable than courses you would pay money for. It has everything from years worth of trainings all about sustainable weight loss on topics that you request to workouts you can do from home to recipes to a weekly live Q&A that I do every Monday based on your questions. I would love to have you in there. You can join at estheravanfacebook.com slash groups slash live diet free.